Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Julian Archer. Before we start with prayer, I, I try to confess my mistakes of yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I just want to make sure that nobody went home last night and sold everything they owned. Yeah, I, just want to, I just want to be careful there. Um, got a wonderful email from Justin Stafford yesterday, which I had the pleasure of reading on my phone on the beach yesterday afternoon, talking about the word in, in Greek, hipparcho, which is in, in the rich young ruler's story, uh, it's, about, it's the word for possessions or for the things that he had, the things that, that he owned. And when Jesus said to him, go and sell all that you have or go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me, the word hipparcho actually has a another angle to it, which can be interpreted as it's not necessarily the things that you own, but it's the things that own you. Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler that go and get rid of everything that owns you and come and follow me. It's very true in life. You know, the more, the more we own, the more we are owned. Uh, there's actually a chapter in my book, I forget what it's called, I think it's uh, To Have and To Hold, which is based again on, on Hipparco. What, own, what you think you own actually owns you, if there's something missing. The, the other thing I, I finished with yesterday, you, you remember, um, silver and gold have I none, for those of you who were here yesterday. Uh, Peter's talking to the man who's begging for money, and he says, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I finished with, with this. I said, in the air-conditioned padded pew affluence of 2015, no longer can we say, sorry, yeah, well, no longer can we say, silver and gold have I none, because we do. But nor can we truly say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Have our finances stolen our faith? That's a personal question for each one of us. Have our finances stolen our faith? You know, Peter's wallet, if he was carrying one, Peter's wallet bulged with nothing. Nothing, everything. And he used it to buy a miracle. Nothing, everything. Faith versus finance. Let's, uh, before we move, move on to today, let's, uh, let's pray and ask Holy Spirit to be here because as you and I know very well, without the Holy Spirit being here this morning, it's just a lot of hot air. So let's, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning asking to be humbled, to be purified, to be sanctified, to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, I, I pray that the seeds that you have been planting through this week will again be watered by your spirit today to grow up into us to bear much fruit when we leave this, this place, when we leave this campground. And Lord, I thank you for hearing our prayer for the Holy Spirit in this place because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a very quick reminder, 
of the cycle that we've been looking at this week. John Wesley quote, Wherever true Christianity spreads, it must cause diligence and frugality, which in the natural course of things must beget riches, and riches naturally beget pride, love of the world, and every temper that is destructive of Christianity. I don't know whether you can see it. No, I'm going to leave that, going to leave that for later on. Sorry, I, I, don't, I, follow, I try to follow my notes, but uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, we go a different way. Let's go here for now. And Asabra, if we could just have that video, please. Thank you. Hi, I'm Arch, and I'm Rich. In 2010, British media magnate Felix Dennis made headlines when he published his wealth scale. Dennis categorised people as the lesser rich if they had a net worth of $25 million. And he categorised them as rich if they had $115 million. I'm not that rich, but it's all relative. The most reliable global personal wealth research comes from right here at the United Nations in Switzerland. The researchers discovered in their UN report, World Distribution of Household Wealth, that if you have a net worth, that is the value of all your assets, minus your debts or your liabilities, a net worth of just $2,900, then you're wealthier than half of the world's adults. You're richer than 50% of Earth's population. And if an adult has a net worth of $83,000, then they are in the top 10%, wealthier than 90% of adults on Earth. Now, here's the thing. What do you think a person's net worth would need to be for them to be in the 1% club, to be the richest 1% of adults on Earth? $50 million? $10 million? $1 million? My first guess would have been $2 million, or maybe a bit more. Well, the UN research has discovered that you only need a net worth of $691,000 to be in the prestigious 1% club. If that's you, then you're richer than at least 99 out of every 100 adults on earth. You're rich too. And if you're also a Christian, then you need to seriously and prayerfully ask God to let you know His will for the wealth that He has entrusted you with. You see, today's Western Christians are the richest group of Christians to have ever lived on the planet. That's an incredible privilege, but also an incredible responsibility. Of course, we may not have realised just how rich we are, because like King Solomon told us, he who loves wealth never has enough. Well, maybe you and I can't qualify for Felix Dennis's rich status of $115 million, but that doesn't mean that we're not rich. The question that rich Christians need to ask themselves these days is no longer, am I rich, but Am I Christian? Surprising, isn't it? Or is it $2,700 and you're richer than half of the adults on the planet? 80 something, 81, $83,000 and you're in the top 10%. Just under $700,000 and you're in the 1% club. When I first came across that data, it made me read the Bible in a different light. 
Whenever I came across texts that talked about the rich, the blessed, the leaders, I looked at them differently. If you've got your Bibles there, let's go across to Daniel 4. Daniel 4, 28 to 30. Just three verses there. They're famous verses. Daniel 4, 28 to 30. King Nebuchadnezzar. You're not even, if you're not even there yet, you'll know what, which verses I'm going to read. King Nebuchadnezzar. Good old King Neb. Now, interesting thing is, from my, from my study of, of Scripture and, and the spirit of prophecy, it's actually quite likely, I believe, that we're going to meet Neb in heaven. That we're going to meet King Nebuchadnezzar. What a phenomenal opportunity to ask some questions. Daniel 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty. What was King Neb's problem at that stage in his life? Pride. Is not this the great business that I have built? Is not this the great career that I have built? Is not this the great singing voice that I have? Is not this the great piano talent that I have earned through eight years of hard practice? Is not this the great athletic ability that I have? Are these trophies not? The list can go on and on and on. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? Let's skip over to 1 Chronicles 29.14 to see what King Nebuchadnezzar's attitude should have been. 1 Chronicles Chapter 29, verse 14. King David uh, is there saying a prayer of thanks to God because of the temple, or because of the offerings for the building of the temple that the people have bought. And they have bought so much. And what does David say in verse 14? But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. All things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Let's run over to James 4 verse 10. James, the book of James, love the book of James. It was the book that Luther said was a right hoary gospel. He wasn't even sure it was supposed to be in the, in the Bible. A right hoary gospel, way too much works, not enough grace. Of course, as we've, as we've gone through life and, and through history, it's been revealed that the message of James, the brother of Jesus, is what we would now call practical Christianity. And it's a beautiful book. James 4 verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
when we were in business, one of our managers, a great friend, an excellent manager, had a, a sign above his laptop in his office, right where he could see it any time of the day. Any time he looked up from his computer, bang, there it was. It was a very simple sign. It said, you say that I'm a self-made man, which is strange because I distinctly remember creating you. I'm a self-made man, but I distinctly remember creating you. Let's go across to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Just going to run through some things this morning. We're actually going to try and have some question time this morning. So if you've got some questions, and I'm sure some of you have, please uh, write them down so you remember them. And uh, we'll try and leave a significant chunk of time at the end for questions. Okay, Matthew 25, 14... To 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'm going to read it through. I'm in the NKJV. What, what have we got on the screen? Oh, there we go. NKJV. Thanks, guys. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, th there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have reckoned back, received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to, ev to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's probably a parable that's had just about as many sermons done on it as any other parable. There's a lot of messages that we can get out of it, but there's only one that I want to get out of it this morning. And that is, who was the owner of the talents before they were given to the servants? Who was the owner? The landlord, God. Okay, God owned the talents. Who was the owner of the talent after it had been given to the servant? Louder? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? We don't often hear that part of it. They were still gods. The talents were still gods. 
Who was the owner of the extra five talents or the extra two talents that were earned? God was. If you go through that in your Bible, look at all the times where the owner is talking about my talents, my this, I'm the owner, over and over and over and over and over. But what if you have done eight years of piano? What if you have done your A-Masse and you've practiced two hours a day, four hours a day to get through it? Whose is the talent then? God's. What if you've busted your guts, you've done a business degree, you've got your, your MBA, you're earning very well in a company or you own your own company and it's earning truckloads of profit, whose is the company? Whose are the profits? Whose is the applause at the end of the song? It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Oswald Chambers, if we can just go back to the PowerPoint. Thanks, guys. Some of you would have read My Utmost for His Highest. It's one of those daily devotional books that I only pick up when I'm feeling game. Oswald Chambers was a young guy who actually died, uh, what did he get, cholera or typhoid or something in Egypt during one of the wars. I think he was British. Yep. He was an army chaplain. And he has the ability to find a text or a belief that we have known for years and just turn it on its head. Turn it right side up. And here's one of them. We have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. You cannot dedicate what is not yours. I've given my business to God. I give my gift to God. I give my talent to God. It's impossible. It's already his. He's just waiting for us to come to an understanding that we live in him. We live and breathe and have our being. The Bible tells us, who gives us the strength to make wealth? God does. It's all his. There's a pastor in the US, his name's John Crosby, and he has a sermon called The Christian Atheist. When I read that, I went, what? The Christian Atheist? You either are or you aren't. You're one or the other. That's impossible. The subtitle for the sermon? I believe in God, but I trust in money. I believe in God, but I trust in money. There's a fine line between putting money away for a rainy day and trusting in it instead of trusting in God. A very, very fine line. There's a very fine line between putting extra into your superannuation and trusting in God. There's a very fine line between upping your life insurance and trusting in God. There's a very fine line between insuring your house and trusting in God. And in case anybody's about to go home and go, Julian said we shouldn't insure our houses, I just want to clarify right here and now, insure your house. <laughs> but I'm just saying that psychologically, in our minds, in our hearts, there's a very, very fine line 
between believing in God and trusting in money, between believing in the giver and trusting in the gifts. A very, very, very fine line. I want to tell you a story about this guy and his family. I was on a bus in the US last year, sitting beside this guy in the back seat where all the naughty boys sit. And I asked him what he did. Never met him before. We're on our way to a, a meeting. And he said, I'm in the heavy lifting business. You know, I lift, lift steel and lift machinery and I lift... Basically, I lift things that nobody else can lift. That's what our business does. And to keep the conversation rolling, I, I said, so what's, what size are your cranes? I know nothing about cranes, but I know there's big ones and little ones. So I said, well, what size are your cranes? Are they uh, like 50-ton cranes? And that was the end of my knowledge of cranes. He said, uh, no, 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 our, we, we don't measure our, our cranes in tons. Um, we... Yeah, look, it's hard to describe, but our biggest crane, to get it from, from our yard to the site, takes 80 semi-trailers. Alrighty then, what are you trying to move, the southern hemisphere? <laughs> and we, we didn't sort of talk too much more about that, but, but this, this guy's name's Alan Barnhart, and he's in business with his brother, in this heavy lifting business, and they, you can see him on the right-hand side, they're standing on top of one of those big wind turbines, you know, with the big three blades on them. The basically, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things close up, but when we were travelling through Europe, we came into a truck stop and there was a blade, just a single blade from one of those things on a couple of semi-trailers and, and about 50 metres in between. But when those things turn, it's like a full 400 metre sports oval turning in the sky. It, they're, they're just massive. And Alan, one of Alan's jobs is to pick those things up and build them. Anything that other people can't move, Barnhart cranes and rigging moves. Many years ago, when Alan and his brother were quite young, in their early 20s, they were in business with their parents in this heavy lifting business, but it was much smaller business. It was turning over one or two million dollars a year. And his parents came to the sons one day and said, look, we're going to go sailing, and we're wondering whether you guys want us to sell the business or whether you want to take it on and continue with it. And of course, they asked the question, well, how long are you going sailing for? They said, we don't really know which was a fair answer because they were away for seven years. And Alan and his brother said, no, we'll, okay, we'll run with it. And they were like, whoa, you know, because mum and dad had sort of always had the responsibility and now it's ours and they're only young. And so they started running this business and the business grew. And before you knew it, they were making, let's say, a million dollars a year in profit. It was, they might have been turning over, I don't know, four or five million or something and they were making about a million dollars a year in profit. They were godly young men because they realised, they saw something in their hearts. As soon as their income started to increase, they saw something in their hearts that they didn't like. So they prayed with their wives and they said, what are we going to do? This money has got claws. It's going to affect us. What are we going to do? And they went around, they sought advice from lawyers and from Christian financial planners and other people, other wealthy Christian business people. And they made a decision, and that decision was that they would give legally and outright 99% of the business to God. They would set up a, a, a trust, uh, an entity that they could not touch ever, and put 99% of that business 
into that trust. About five years ago, they gave God the last 1%. Which basically means that when that business earns a profit, they get none. When that business is sold, they get nothing. From their decision to put 99% into God's ownership a number of years ago, their business has grown to a $250 million a year business. And God's business now gives between $1 and $2 million every month to God's work, primarily to Christian outreach programs in Islamic countries. That's, their, that's where their passion is. Alan and his brother, you can see the, the family there, Alan and his wife in blue and, and their kids. Uh, looks like they're in, in Turkey or somewhere looking at the seven churches. Um, Alan and his brother work for the business. They don't receive the highest wage in the business. There's other guys in the business who receive more. Their income that they receive from the business is not enough to put their kids through private schools. Their kids have never been to Disneyland because they can't afford to go to Disneyland. That challenged me. That really challenged me. But it didn't challenge me as much as when I asked Alan why. I said, why, Alan, do you do this? Why do you live like this when you could be living so differently? And he said, Julian, we're in a war. For Adventists, we would call it the Great Controversy. He didn't know that. He said, Julian, we're in a war. My company provides the food for the soldiers on the front line. And the camp cooks should not eat better than the soldiers. The camp cooks should not eat better than the soldiers. What do you reckon? Is that fair? Is that right? Is that how it should be? Are we all Christian soldiers marching as to war? Or are we the the fat cats at the back who write the checks and live well? The camp cooks shouldn't eat better than the soldiers on the front line. Let's uh, have a bit of a change of tack. We're going to watch a short video. And then we're going to go into question time. Uh, While that video is coming up there, I'll just mention these two things again. I'll just leave them down the front today. But if you are interested in getting a a small newsletter, um, about 200 words once a month on faith versus finance, just come and put your name and email address on one of these. Thank you. And uh, it's called the Bruised Camel, the newsletter. It's called the Bruised Camel. And uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that when a camel goes through the eye of a needle, (laughs) it gets a bit bruised. So uh, if you need a reminder once a month about faith and finance and affluence and spirituality, please put your names down there. If you're interested in the book over in the ABC, Help, I've Been Blessed, have a read of that poster over there on the wall. And if you get more yeses than noes, you'll see that once you get to the poster. If you get more yeses than no, it's probably a good idea to go and have a read of the book. But now we're going to watch something about 
These things. Can anybody tell me what that is? Anyone got binoculars? It's an acorn. It's an acorn. Remember the guy in, um, in the Bible? He had a really good harvest. And what did he do in the parable? Built bigger barns. What are, what are our barns today? If you're a farmer, it might be bigger barns. I know for us, we used to build bigger and bigger sheds and bigger and bigger factories and, and all the rest of it. It was literally bigger barns. Any other things that you can build that may not be physical barns? Sorry? Bank accounts? Stock, shares, houses? Stuff? Yeah, that's right. Build bigger. For us in, in business, other than building the, bed, the, the bed, building the sheds and barns and things, it was trusts, foundations, companies. You know, it starts off so simple. You've got mum and dad and me, and we're trying to make a living. And then 10 years later, you've got an A4 sheet that looks like that poster over there with all the entities that the accountants have told us to link together and to protect your assets and all the rest, and you're off talking to the guys who got uh, Alan Bond. Uh, we used to go and visit the lawyers who nailed Alan Bond because we thought, well, if anyone knows how to set up firewalls, they'll get through firewalls, those blokes do, and they tell us how to put up firewalls, no one else is going to get through them. And it, you get owned by it. That was another way of building bigger barns. Scrat did everything he could to get all that he could. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then Jesus said to them, Watch out! I love the way he said that with the exclamation mark. I don't know whether that's in the Greek, but in the Aramaic, but there's the exclamation mark. Watch out! It's like there's a, a runaway bull just about to run into this crowd. He says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. We just went through that. Bigger, bigger barns. And what did God call him? You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And so it shall be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. Scrat in his asset avalanche. Still grasping. Job 20.20, surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked and falling at a rapid rate of knots towards a very hard end. And then he woke up to it. Job 20, 22, two verses later, in the midst of plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of misery will come upon him. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And then it comes, Daniel 2. <laughs> ah, the old rock cut out without hands. It's coming, folks. It's coming. You and I know the order of the empires. We know what's coming. There it is. It's all going to burn. And then, of course, Scratch there, and it, forces that he can't control are taking away everything that he has worked so hard for. All of his security is being taken away by a force that he cannot control. It's all going to burn. Linda's dad, fantastic guy, Clive Butcher, some of you may know him, my father-in-law, reminds us on a regular basis, whenever we might get something new or whatever, or, and, and with his own things, he might get himself a, a new mower or something, he, he says, Jules, it's all going to burn. 
It's all going to burn. Don't forget. It's all going to burn. And what's Scrat left with? A hat. All he's got is the top of the acorn. A hat. My sister-in-law's great-grandfather lived in Romania in the years leading up to the political unrest of the late 80s and early 90s. He didn't trust the banks, and so he stored all of his life savings in a big jacket hanging behind a door up in the attic. He figured if anyone ever broke in, they wouldn't, just, they wouldn't check in a jacket hanging behind a door up in the attic. And he had his life savings up there, secure, away from the banks. In 1989, communism fell in Romania, and the currency rocketed into hyperinflation. Before he could reassess his savings method, his entire life savings devalued to the point where all he could afford to buy with his life savings was a hat. That was it. His life savings. Forces out of his control destroyed all of his security. In the Bible, does it tell us that in the last days that, that there will be forces that we can control even though they try and take away everything from us? Or will those forces be out of our control? And so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Tomorrow we're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at retirement. How much do I need to retire? But I'm going to warn you, if you think we're going to come along and discuss numbers, we're not. Numbers aren't my thing. We're going to look at something else. How much do we need for retirement? How do we raise children in this society? And if you've got friends who haven't been able to make it along to the meetings because they've uh, you know, been looking after kids, and I know a lot of, a lot of parents are tied up in, in kids' departments and things, but if you could switch shifts or something for tomorrow, I'm going to share about raising kids in a consumeristic, materialistic world. And we're going to look at inheritances. How much should I leave to my kids? How much should I leave to my kids? So that's, that's tomorrow. But we're going to wind it up there for today, and we're going to open it up to questions. Now, I don't know whether the guys have got a couple of mics around, or, yep, thanks, Danny. Uh, go easy on me. <laughs> but if you've got some questions, Danny's got a mic over there, so if you just raise your hand and, and we'll go from there. Thanks very much, Julian. I'm really enjoying what you're saying. And I was just wondering, on the other end of the spectrum, is it a healthier place to be constantly on your knees in prayer, wondering how you're going to pay the next bill, rather than trying to ask the Lord to help you to be smart, to have money in reserve? Yeah. Excellent question. It always comes. It's often the first one, and it's an excellent question. So the, the thing is, you, uh, you own some assets, you feel convicted, the Holy Spirit's saying to give them all away, so you give them all away, and next thing, you're, you're saying, well, pff, where, where's my food coming from? And God says, you just gave it away. <laughs> I just, you know, you, you read those verses, and without reading some others, and you went, gave it all away. Yeah. I think it was Agur, Agur, was he in Proverbs, Lord? 
two things I ask of you. Don't make me so rich that I forget you. And don't make me so poor that I steal and dishonor your name. Um, yeah, got to find that balance. What I'm addressing this week is my journey, basically. My journey. It's not necessarily your journey, it's my journey. However, I also know that it is a lot of your journeys because you've come up and spoken to me uh, about that. It's also the journey of many people that you've seen. I believe that God wants to bless us. Okay? I believe God wants to bless us. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe that God wants us to be rich. I believe he wants to bless us. And where we were looking yesterday, or the day before, at the cross, on Monday at the Cross-Eyed Christian, we got this, you can't serve God and money, store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. The very next verse is therefore, the next word is therefore, therefore do not worry about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you shall wear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I'm yet to meet a person who has sought God first and has starved to death. Now, there's a good reason for that, because those ones have died, and I haven't met them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can see what I'm saying. When we take God at his word, when we take him at his promises, and we seek him first, and we seek him with all our heart, he provides for our needs. Like Abraham, who was blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing. That's a text. God said to Abraham, I shall bless you to be a blessing. And that's what we are blessed for. And we are to keep what we need to eat, and we are to keep what we need to pay our kids' school fees, pay the rates and the electricity. I also believe that we are to keep money for a rainy day. Some of us are keeping money for the end of the world, basically. <laughs> a cyclone with a tsunami that came through with an earthquake. We've got enough. We're like the Laodiceans, AD 60. Their entire city is destroyed. They rebuild it out of their own cash. But what did Jesus say to those people who were so rich? Poor, blind, miserable, naked, come to me. Open the door and come in. I do believe in balance. But I'm giving a message this week that is just outlining some of the 2,300 texts in the Bible that talk about money, the majority of which are, don't let it get in your heart. And that's, that's where it's at. So does that sort of answer the question, Bronwyn, in some way? Yep? Yeah. Sure. Have enough to eat and not have to be on your knees every day saying, Lord, please help me, please help me. That may come in time in your life. Some of you sitting here today may have been through bankruptcies, may be going through bankruptcies now, and you're spending a lot of time on your knees saying, Lord, please help me through this. God may allow that to happen in our lives. But I don't think it's a goal. I don't think we need to say, that's what I want. Another question? Thank you. Uh, Julian, you were sort of saying that, Thank you. Um, that you can put money into your heart, and especially if you, if you begin to be more prosperous. But also, you can have money as the most important thing when you don't have enough of it. And um, through the Bible and, and especially through 
uh, some of Ellen White's writings, we get some indication of, of how to work to, to combat that. Um, but in the church, in our, in our real experience as Christians, is there more concrete education uh, in place to help us with that? Yeah, okay. There's a book that may or may not be in the ABC that my parents and I have used and, and Melinda and I have used as a, a money Bible right through our, our business careers. It's a book by G. Edward Reed. I think he's been through your conference a number of years ago, George Edward Reed. And it's called, It's Your Money, Isn't It? It's Your Money, Isn't It? by G. Edward Reed. To me, that has some of the most practical, biblical money management skills in it. So if you're looking at budgeting, if you're looking at loans, if you're looking at those day-to-day practical decisions that you need to make about finances, I'd recommend George's book. Um, the, my, my specific book came about because of a hole that I believe existed, and that's what your question is, how do we keep this stuff out of our hearts? I, when I was going through business and I was searching to try and balance my faith and my finance, I searched high and low for resources, for anything, videos, seminars, books, cassettes, that was back in the day, all these different things that might be able to guide me in this faith versus finance battle, and I couldn't find anything. And that's why I had that battle that went ongoing, on and on and on and on. And finally, I sat down at the end of it and I said, Lord, I've got to sort this out. It's killing me. And so I sat down and in 10 weeks wrote the book out of my journey. And I didn't write it as a book. Some of you may have read the book and you realize that I actually wrote it just as a journal for myself, just as Julian. You've got to sort this out. And as I was going through that process, I thought about my two boys, Ethan and Jaith, 14 and 16 now. And I thought, I'm going to give this to them so that they don't have to make the same mistakes that I made. And then, after that, felt convicted. Julian, other people need to hear this. And I sat on it. I said, no way. No way. This is far too personal. And I sat on it for two years before I was convicted enough (laughs) uh, to have it published. I don't know of many resources that are specifically not on how to how Christians can make money, prosperity gospel sort of stuff, uh, or how Christians can manage money, but books on how to manage your relationship with Christ once he's blessed you. There's a lot of text in the Bible on it, but I needed something else. I needed somebody, a peer who I could sit beside and talk with this about and get their thoughts. Somebody who had been through that journey won that battle, and, uh, and that's why I wrote the book. So, and, and I don't know a lot of others along those lines at this stage. Brendan Pratt is doing his PhD on a very similar thing at the moment. Uh, if you know Brendan, he works for the Australian Union Conference down in Melbourne. Uh, and his PhD will come out sometime in the next year or so, I suppose. And I'm guessing it'll come out as a book. And uh, I think that'll be an excellent resource as well. I don't know what it's going to be called. Yeah. Over this way, yep. Yeah. Uh, Julian, I, I understand a big focus for you is prayer in response to this whole message. Do you want to give us some insight into, if you're, to, to the extent that you're comfortable into your 
personal prayer life, what that looks like, when you find the best time to pray, how often you pray, yep. um, public prayer, private prayer, what do you find, uh, how much do you invest in it, and what, what would be your recommendations for how much you invest in prayer? Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Um, yeah, it's a challenging question. Thank you for saying how much I would be comfortable with because it tells us in the Bible when you pray, don't pray on the street corner <laughs> and uh, you know, don't, don't sort of put your prayers up in front of everybody. But I guess to be practical here this morning, one is family worship because I'm a, I'm a family man. I'm a dad, I'm a husband. The way that it works in our home and it has brought an incredible beauty to our morning worships is that each of the four of us before we have morning worship, each of us does our own worship. We do our own reading of God's Word. And then when we come together as a family, we don't read a daily devotional book or, any, or anything along those lines as a family. We share, each of us shares what we read that morning and what our take-home message is from the Scriptures for that day. And I want to tell you that that just that changes the, the, the feel, the... the the impact, the effect of a family worship time. Okay, so that's a, that's a, that's a separate thing. That's the, from a family's point of view. From my own point of view, my, prayer, my main prayer time is in the morning. Often after Melinda and the boys have headed off to school, um, I know guys who get up really, really early and spend an hour then. I, I spend some time then and then later on in the morning. Uh, what am, what's my prayer? What am I praying for? I'm going to be giving away some of Friday's talk now, but I have an acronym. I'm not much into acronyms. My favourite acronym is um, TLA. You know what TLA stands for? Everyone's got to have a TLA. You've got to know a TLA. Everyone here does know a TLA. A TLA is a three-letter acronym. Um, <laughs> but my acronym is PUSH. PUSH, because you know... As I go through my journey, I surrender myself to God, but I still need God to push me. And sometimes I wish he'd push me harder and say, go on, because I, I know I want to go that way, Lord, take me that way. Push me. And my push is this, Lord, please purify me. Please purify me. That's a mind thing. Please purify my thoughts. Make them like yours. Please purify me. And by the way, push doesn't go in the order, so I'm going to give you the letters in a different order. Please purify me. Please sanctify me. Big fancy word basically means please make me more like Jesus today. Please make me more like Jesus. May what I do today make a difference in eternity. Not may what I do today make a difference today for me, for my family, but what I do today may make a difference in eternity. Sanctify me. Please humble me. It's been a challenge for a lot of my life, pride. Lord, please humble me. Lord, if you need to put a circumstance in my life that will humble me, whether it be publicly or privately or whatever, please do it. Please humble me. And then, use me. Please use me. And those four are what I pray every morning, along with other things, but that's, this, is, this is something that is a regular uh, part of my prayer life. Lord, please push me. 
The other thing I pray most mornings is the Lord's Prayer. There is power in the Lord's Prayer. And I tell you what, one of the most powerful things about the Lord's Prayer that I've come across is that it's a community prayer, it's not a me prayer. Our Father, give us this day. It's a community thing. It takes the focus off me and puts it back on every person on the planet. And thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make me a part of that. Because on my own I can't be. I can't do it. So that's, that's the morning side of things. Then uh, throughout the day, you know, I think I mentioned yesterday, Daniel, three times a day. David says, Lord, seven times a day I come before you. Around lunchtime, I try to take time to find somewhere to be on my knees. For some of you, the only quiet place that you've got around lunchtime is in the toilets, at work, wherever it is. Go there. Go there. Sit on the toilet with the lid down. <laughs> and remember that the lid's down. Um, but but s- sit on the toilet and pray to God. God doesn't care where you are. For the middle of the day, prayer. And then at the end of the day, prayer again. For me, three times a day. I'd, I'd, you know, I could say, like David, seven times a day. Because there are other prayers during the day. But not like David. David, the power that I see in David's life is something that I'm still aspiring to. But does that give you sort of an overview of, of where it's at throughout the day? And then get up the next day and do it again. All right, any, any other? Thanks, mate. Uh, this isn't intended to humble you, but it's just a, a question perhaps um, to confirm. You might have already addressed it. Um, but where are you in the journey? Are you still the rich young ruler or perhaps have you given it all away in yeah. Excellent question. Are you going to be here on Friday? Yep. You are? Good. I'll leave most of it for Friday, but I'll, I'll share something, uh, I guess, that's more practical uh, along those lines. Uh, for those of you who have, who have read the book, you'll know there's a chapter in there called The Road Towards Poverty. And Melinda and I made a decision that we would turn a corner in our, in our financial lives uh, we understood a thing called the economics of enough, and I think I'm sharing more about that tomorrow. But we had enough, and we decided that we would turn a corner and work our way towards poverty. An unusual thing to do, a fairly uncommon thing to do. It didn't happen overnight. We didn't just sell all, give it away. But we're working our way backwards. So if I look at our, what you would call your net worth over the last few years, it's going down. And that's a conscious decision. At the beginning, it was pretty hard to see my peers going this way or going that way financially while I'm choosing to go that way. It was sort of like swimming against, against the stream. And of course, when, whenever you went out into the, the world and, and looked at the advertising and you deserve it and all this sort of stuff, it was really swimming against the, the tide. Um, yeah, look, I, I won't go into numbers. Um, because it's all, it's all relative, um, you know, where people are at in their, in their lives. Uh, but we have had a significant drop in our, in our net worth over the last five years. Um, so that's, that's from a numbers point of view. Uh, where, am I, where am I at on my journey? If you get a chance to go through the book and come, here, come on Friday, 
uh, where we're looking at the spiritual stage of where I am in the journey, uh, then that's, that's probably all I, can, all I can say at this stage. Somebody asked me, how many people have actually read the book cover to cover at the moment? Not too many yet. There's a few around. Someone came up to me yesterday um, and said, you know, wh- wh- what's the next stage? What happens after this end? And what is the, how do we do the heart thing? How do we do the heart thing? And I said to him, you know, one mistake I made when I published that book is I should have stapled a copy of Steps to Christ to the back of it. Because that's the next stage. Steps to Christ. Mm. One step at a time. I don't know how long since you've read that book. But I, I was lying in bed a couple of nights ago and I said, I'm going to make a public commitment because that's often how we stand by our commitments best if we make them public. But I'm going to make a public commitment in front of you guys that next week I'm going to read through Steps to Christ in seven days. It's not a big book. You can probably do it in a couple of hours. But I'm going to go through it one, one chapter, two chapters a day and go through it in seven days again because that book is one of the most powerful, powerful books on the planet. It's been translated into more than 150 languages. To give you an idea, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, the second most translated female author on the planet, uh, she's had her works translated into 67 different languages and Steps to Christ into over, over 150. I encourage you to read that book, Steps to Christ. Read it as soon as you can. I know some of you are sitting out there saying, oh, I read that book years ago. Read it next week. Read it next week. It is a powerful, powerful book. Let's just bow our heads as we finish. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, sinners in need of a saviour. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for that gift that is so big that is so amazingly greater than any of the material things that you want to bless us with. I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray again now that you will protect us from getting your material gifts in the way of your eternal gifts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot O-R-G dot A-U. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. That no earthly friends can share 
tears drive away the smile and leaves my heart in pain then the lord from heaven above speaks to me in tones of love wipes the tears away and makes me smile again i need no mansions here below for jesus said that i could go to a home beyond the clouds not made with hands won't you come and go along we will sing the sweetest songs ever played upon the harps in glory land when jesus comes to claim his own I will move to my new home I'll walk and talk with him upon the streets of gold a mansion there is waiting me soon his beauty I will see in that city where we never shall This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.